the scripture I want to read into your hearing before you take your seats is in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Romans 5, chapter 5, excuse me, verses 1 through, um, yeah, 1 through 12. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Yes. Glorying in tribulation's tough, but we're gonna to get to this. Glorying in tribulation. And patience, experience. And experience is hope. You've been through this a few times and you see that sometimes tribulations in the end gives you hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The Holy Ghost isn't something that you take. The Holy Ghost isn't something you earn. The Holy Ghost is something that is given. It is a gift. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. For when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Know who he died for? The ungodly. Christ didn't come to help those who were righteous already. Was not even concerned about them. Christ died for the ungodly. For the one who didn't even care or want God. That's who Christ died for. You thought he was here for us. You thought he was here for the ones that got it together. We have relationship with God now. Christ is come for those who don't have him. You, you see that? I now have access to the mercy seat of God. Direct, unashamed access by Christ. But now I've got it. Christ is for those who don't have him. Amen. Let's go. For scarcely, for a righteous man will one die. You'd barely die. You'd barely do something good for a good person. Yet, per adventure, I love this word, per adventure. Just by some chance. Per adventure for a good. We've gone from righteous to good. I've downgraded it now. I started off high here. I said, ah, never mind. Let's just start here. Good. For a good man, some of y'all would even dare to die. But God. Hallelujah. The scripture says, commended or directed or commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This was deliberately for the ungodly. This is expressly for the sinner. You want to keep Jesus to yourself now? You've got two good days. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is for the ungodly. Jesus is for the unrighteous. Jesus is for the sinner. If they're going to have any chance of getting reclaimed by God, you're going to have to get Jesus in the mix. Hallelujah. Ah, hallelujah. Much more now being justified by his blood. And I'm not going to dog out the, the church, because look what he says about us. 
much more now being justified by his blood, you that have been justified already by his blood, this is what he says about us. We shall be saved from wrath through him. If God is upset with man, I don't have to worry about it because he's paid my debt already. Look at what he says to the church now. For if when we were enemies, when you were the ungodly, when you were the sinner, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. If that's when he decides to look after you, when you're his enemies. (laughs) For if we we were, says, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So he's saying this, if I was willing to reconcile you when you were my enemy, now that I've reconciled you, what do you think I'm willing to do for you now? Like, I did all of this when you were my enemy, but now I've made you my friend, what do you think I'm going to do now? We often think about this God as being upset with us constantly. Like he's looking for a reason to cut us off and that's not the truth. When Jesus paid the price, that's not what you have to worry about. When we were his enemies, he died for you. And when he reconciled you, he wasn't going to throw you away then. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now have received the atonement, the payment. I've I've received the fixing of the problem. Somebody paid it, verse 12. Wherefore, this is what I wanted to get, get to. As by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed, upon all men, for all have sinned. May the Lord have the blessing, the ring of the words. Please take your seats. Praise the Lord, saints. The song we we sang is that you are faithful. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. It's one thing we don't have to worry about is God being wishy-washy with us. I love that. I learned that term when I got to the United States. Wishy-washy. I love it. That sometimes we, we, we think of the, the, the God as being mercurial. That's another word I learned when I was over here. Mercurial is the word because they use it because the word mercury, because what mercury does. When you see mercury in a thermostat, when the temperature goes up, mercury starts to expand. It's the, I think it's believed it's the law of thermodynamics or something like that. But that expands the property of mercury. Temperature goes up, mercury starts to move. Temperature goes down, mercury starts to go down. It is so thin-skinned that as soon as the temperature moves one degree, you see it moving on your thermostat. My God doesn't move that quickly. Like, he he is faithful to us. We think of this level of abandonment with God. No, no, that's you abandoning him. That's you attempting to run from him. Not his actions to you. Scripture tells us that while we were enemies, he died. While we were enemies, he died for us. That doesn't even make any sense. (laughs) See two boxers, and the one guy is about to be counted out, the other guy helps him up. That doesn't make sense. 
You want a battlefield, you're shooting at them, they shoot at you. You get shot, they come across and try to help you. That doesn't make any sense. I'm supposed to look out and see, oh, I've, he's hurt. Now I feel better. No, no, no. The Lord said, I'm going to, while you are yet enemies to him, Christ, that's when Christ decided to do the most work for you. I was reading this week, um, uh, John 3. I, th I think I'd, it would be true to me to say, this is real this time. That's my favorite scripture. John 3.16. <laughs> what it is this week. Amen. Um, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. We want to portion that off a little bit. That's in our mind, we want to say, I love the, love the part of the world. And that's not what the scripture said. He loved the world. He loved it in a particular kind of way. For God so, so loved it. He didn't love it just loving it. He loved it in that way. For God so loved the world. It makes it sound like he didn't have a choice with this. Love compelled him to give his son. Love didn't leave any other opportunity but to give his son. God loved him in this, us in this kind of way that he says, I've got to do something about this. This is ruined, this is messed up, I've got to fix it. He so loved the world. He loved it this kind of way. There are loves you can receive from people that will only last and be conditional. <laughs> they will be conditioned upon your proximity to me. If I see you every week, I love you. But as soon as you are out of my sight, and as soon as you're out of my mind, my love goes away. There are some loves that are based on the, the familial connection. You're my brother, you're my sister, you're my mother. And as soon as... That gets broken, somehow love goes away. But there is this kind of love that expects nothing from them. No proximity, no family. In fact, it works more effectively when you're enemies than friends. God so loved the world. That's how much he loved it. He loved it, he loved it and said, I've got to fix what has been broken. Ah, uh, I've got to fix what's been broken in this relationship. You know how we do with relationships? We say, I'll come halfway. <laughs> we do that to each other. We say, I've got to, I'll come halfway. The truth is, in relationships, sometimes one person who's in a better position has to put in more labor, emotional labor, than the other person. You say 50-50, but sometimes I'm in a better position to help the relationship than you are. So I say, you know what, I'm going to call. They haven't been calling, I'm going to call because I'm in a good position to call. I'm going to call and rather than say, if they don't call me back, that's it. Because I'm in a stronger position, I'm going to say, I'm going to call you three times in a row. I don't care what you do. I'm going to fix this relationship. <laughs> that's what Jesus basically did. He says, you don't have neither the means or the opportunity or the ability to fix this, so let me call you rather than wait for you to call me. I'm so grateful for the nature of the Savior. I'm so grateful, you know what I'm grateful for? 
is that he didn't care whose fault it was. Did not care. You know how we do with friendships and with, well, it was their fault why we're not talking. It was they that broke the relationship. Their job to fix it. No, no, no. He says, I don't care whose fault it is. Oh, glory to God. I'm just going to love you till you come back. I'm going to love you like this until it's fixed. I'm just going to fix this. I don't care what it takes. I'm in a better position than you are to fix this situation. So let me just do the calling and the talking. Let me do the dying and the paying and the atonement. Let me do it. What kind of God is this? That says I'm just going to accept being a better friend to you than you could possibly be to me. And that's because I love you, hallelujah, without condition, without requirement. I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, what I'm realizing that is that our relationship with God, we assume should be like our relationship with other people. And that's just not true. Because he's not a man that he should lie. Hallelujah. He's something different. Hallelujah. He is something different. Let me, let me pull into a scripture here. Uh, uh, um, we just read, it says, wherefore, in, in, in Romans 5 and, 5, 5 and 12, it says, wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. So one man caused this problem and because he caused the problem, he let a crack in the creation of man. He put a fissure, a defect in the, in the creation that was, because that's not how it started. Sin wasn't in here when it started. The scripture tells us uh, God created, said, let there be light, and it was light, and God saw the light, and it was Then he says, let me separate things and make the water divide from the water, and he said it was We're still good at this moment. He then said, let there be dry land. He said, let there be um, herbs and, and seed-bearing fruit, and let there be trees, and let there be green things, and he said it was Everything's still good, right up to this point. Then he said, even when he made man, he said, let me make man. And he said that it, it is very good. We were good all the way up to here. Everything was as it should be. But when he made this very good man, he gave him more strength and authority and power than any other creation he'd ever given. Genesis chapter 3 tells us what exactly went wrong with there. Yeah, Genesis chapter 3, could we just read just the top of that? I'm going to take my time today. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Okay. Which the Lord God had made. Yes. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said ye shall not eat every tree of the garden? Right. So he's saying something to the woman here that I think is fascinating. What I realize is he doesn't shove the fruit down her throat. That's not what he does. He's not forcing her to sin. He's simply making her look at her obedience to God in a different way. Keep reading. Verse 2, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Yes. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, yep. ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God has put a, a, a single rule. There are no other rules but this one. That's it. 
Everything else is perfectly legal. Everything else is just fine, except for this one. Right? Keep going. And the serpent, verse 4, said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Be careful of people in your life who are like snakes. In this regard, they'll come to you with truth. You know how it's t most uh, reptiles have forked tongues, right? This forked tongue has been used to describe the nature of people's talking in the past. Forked tongues have come to describe you, you lie with that tongue. Be very careful of people who have comfortable truth and lies in their mouth at the same time. It's what we in, in, in US specifically, in uh, folks of African descent will say, you're talking out of two sides of your mouth. I learned that one over here too. Amen. I love that one. Talking out of two sides of your mouth. That is you saying you are saying one thing over here and another thing over here. And so he's wrapped this lie right in with a little sprinkle of the truth. But look at what happens with Eve. Let's keep going. Verse 5, for God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, yeah. then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He has presented right back the, the idea that you can do what you want, the way, and it will be an advantage to you. You will be gods, in fact. He has put temptation in front of the woman. Let's keep going. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. So the problem really didn't happen with what you said. The problem really happens now inside of, of Eve. She has a desire now that wasn't there before. She sees the thing and says, oh, now you mention it. It is tasty looking. It does look like something I want before then. She wasn't saying anything about it, wasn't worried about it. The desire of the flesh can get away from you if you're not careful. You'll start liking things you didn't even think about before. You'll start going after things that you weren't even interested in a few minutes ago. Amen? Let's keep going. And when the woman, verse 6, saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes... She's seen everything. Looking at it now. Almost obsessed by it. Must be good to taste. Looks good to my eye. Certainly passes the eye test. Right? Let's keep going. That it was pleasant to the eye. Yeah. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Something to be desired now. The flesh is working now. My desire has taken hold. Like the tree was always there, but now she has a desire for something that's not hers. Let's keep going. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. So she ate the fruit. Note at this point there's been no, no consequences. At this point, she, scripture says she ate it. But we don't hear of a change in her yet. Then he goes on and says. She took the fruit of thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband. So she, she doesn't feel bad about what she's done because she takes it. And then she goes and says, well, if I'm going to be be good, let me give some of this to my husband. And then what happens? And she, she and he did eat. Yes. And the eyes of them both were open. So as soon as Adam eats it now, something shifted. Yeah, right. yes, sir. It was 
the moment that Adam started to eat, that something shifted. <laughs> what I think is really interesting here is that the command actually was to Adam. What's really interesting is that sometimes I think, <laughs> we think because other people can do things, we can do things. <laughs> but the Lord has told you how to live, and you're mad because somebody else isn't living that way. Adam could have rejected it at that point. <laughs> Adam could have said at that point, I think that's wrong to do. In fact, no, no, I know that's wrong to do. We both had the same word. Let me see how we can go to God and fix it. <laughs> but there's a problem with Adam. He is what the scripture now refers to as the first Adam. The first Adam had responsibility. But the scripture tells us here that as soon as the, the Lord kind of, in fact, let's go keep reading. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. The eyes of them were both open. The eyes of them were both open. That they were naked. And they knew something now. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they tried to fix their own problems. This is the nature of first Adam. He's got a problem in relationship to God. And he says, Well, let me fix it. I, I can make something. I've been around the garden a few times now. I know what's going on. I know what tools are available to me. Let me put something together and fix the problem that we've created. So they, they put themselves on garments. They keep going. And they heard the voice of the Lord, verse 8, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But the tools that they used to fix the problem still didn't help. Because when they heard the voice of the Lord, they're still running. This is the ability of first Adam. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. Please be patient. The first Adam's solution was, let me use my tools to, to fix what I've broken. Also, let me hide. My relationship with God is broken. And the way I think I can get away with this is to hide myself from the presence of God. Remember, he would have relationship with, with the Lord. He would meet with the Lord regularly at the cool of the day, the scripture calls it. And so their regular meeting time came up. God shows up. Adam and Eve hide. Let's keep reading, sir. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Right. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Where? Who's doing the calling in this situation? Adam's messed up. Eve's messed up. But who is doing the calling for whom in this situation? The nature of the first Adam, remember Eve came straight out of Adam. The things that are defective with Adam are the same things that's defective with Eve. Yes, the only difference is that the Lord told Adam what to do and what not to do. And that's the only difference we're seeing. But their situation has been such that they've decided to fix their own problem and they're fixing it by their own tools and by hiding. When the scripture back in, Back in Romans says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, they're talking about this very moment. One man, it wasn't Eve's problem, it was Adam's problem. By Adam, this problem came into being. We see that? Let's keep reading, sir. We're almost there. And the Lord God called to Adam and said unto him, Where are thou? 
Where are you, Adam? God knows exactly where Adam is, but he's asking Adam the question, where are you right now? You need to reflect and think about where you are right now. I don't know if you've ever spoke to somebody who's clearly not thinking about where they are right now, who's not in the room with you, you're talking to them, and they're thinking about everything else. Like, where are you right now? Come back to the present moment. Let me, let me get some eye contact. Let me, let, let me get a conversation out of you. God isn't asking Adam for his information. God is asking Adam for Adam's benefit. Where are you, Adam? The truth is, Adam would have realized that I have broken with my responsibility and my fault. It's, our fault is all mine. That's where he is right now. The first Adam didn't have the instinct to say, Lord, I need your help. He didn't have the fortitude, the strength to say, I need your help. Let's keep going. Verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. <sighs> Because I was naked and I hid myself. Sin, fear, yes, death, all here in the garden. He's afraid now. He didn't have that mind before, but he's now afraid. And he hid himself from the presence of God. Didn't have this notion to be afraid of God before. But disobedience worked sin. Sin worked fear. Fear came in death. And they are now in a, we are now watching the very beginning of the destruction of mankind. And there hadn't been a solution all these years until Jesus came. Until Jesus came, this was the situation that was created. Let's keep going. Verse 11, and he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Who told you that? I certainly didn't. So who told you that you were naked? What I'm realizing in this conversation, there are two things going on. There is, we're trying to find out who's responsible and who is at fault. There are two different things. Adam doesn't realize that he is both at fault and responsible. Let's read, let me just show you what that means. Has thou eaten of the tree where <laughs> I commanded thee that thou should, should not eat? Yeah. And the man said, the woman... Ah, it's not... He's trying to say it's not even his responsibility or fault. He's saying it's somebody else's fault. This is an indicator of the first Adam, nature. It's not me. It's the thing you gave me. Let's keep going. And the man said, the woman which thou hast given to me... Excuse me. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the, the tree and did eat. Yes. And the Lord God said unto the woman, <laughs> what is that thou hast done? And so now it turns to the woman. Fault and responsibility, let's look at this again. Let's go, go, go again. Verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? Yes. And the woman said, the serpent. Ah, it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. Everybody's pointing everywhere. Everybody's pointing at everything. And the truth is, the one person in this situation who had a chance to fix this was the first Adam, but he didn't realize that he wasn't, not, not only was it his fault, but it's his responsibility to fix. <laughs> so this is the moment where we go from having, go from being in relationship with God 
sin entering in and death, and from that moment all the way to Christ being born, no one has a solution to fix the relationship. No one has a solution because the first Adam couldn't in himself find the tools, the intellect, the opportunity. He couldn't do anything about it until the second Adam comes along. Amen? Let's go to uh, uh, um, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I might have the first wrong. 1 Corinthians, if you start at verse 1 and go, we'll go from there, I'll find it. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, yes, sir. Brethren, I declare unto you that the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, wherein ye stand. Yes. By which also you have are saved, if you keep in memory, that I preached unto you, unless I have believed, as you have believed in vain. Right. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I have also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel that we're preaching to you is that Jesus died and rose again. That's the gospel we are preaching to you. That this Jesus died and rose again. That if the first Adam introduced sin and death, the second Adam is, re is bringing in the resurrection of life. If you've got death from the first Adam, you're going to get resurrection from the second Adam. Like, I'm going to preach the gospel of resurrection because that's where we get to undo the problems created by the first one. Let's jump down to, to, to verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you're yet in your sin. If, look, I'm, Paul is telling them straight. If there's no resurrection, we're believing for no reason. The whole power of this gospel is in the resurrection. Like, don't mistake this. His miracles were wonderful, and I love them, and I want to talk about them, and I want to repeat them. But everything we have in our salvation is because he gets up. Verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If the resurrection didn't help, then those who have died already in Christ won't come back either. Let's keep going. In this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are all men most miserable. Our salvation isn't just about this life, making us feel good now. It's about a resurrection story. The first Adam couldn't do this. The first Adam couldn't avoid this and fix this, but the second Adam could. Let's keep going. Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of them that sleep. So now we realize that Jesus has in fact risen from the dead and he's not designed to be the only one that raises from the dead because sin and death are in you from first Adam. If he can raise you up out of that, you don't have to be subject to either sin or death any longer. Let's keep going. For since, verse 21, by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. So if, if Adam was the one who brought death, I need you to understand that Jesus brings resurrection. Hallelujah. Ah, hallelujah. If he brings in sin and death, the Christ brings in righteousness and life. <laughs> so now, look at the tools that are at your disposal. 
Look at the tools that were with the first Adam. He had fault, he had responsibility. The first Adam said, ah, it wasn't my fault. So therefore he shirked, pushed away his responsibility. What does the second Adam do? Oh yeah, it's your fault, but this is now my responsibility. I'm gonna fix this thing. Like Adam said, it wasn't my fault. So he couldn't take responsibility. Eve did the same thing. It's not my fault. What does Jesus do? Oh, I know it's your fault, but I'm gonna take responsibility for you. I'm gonna fix this. Let me be the one who fixes the faults and fixes the responsibility of this. But now in Christ, verse, verse 21, sir. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Oh gosh, he's gonna make everybody alive. Why? Because he's taken responsibility for what the first Adam couldn't do. The first Adam, all the first Adam could do was hide. All the first Adam could do was put together a couple of rags and try to cover himself. The second Adam says, I'm gonna go to the grave. I'm gonna suffer for that sin. You imagine if the second Adam was at the garden, this would have been fixed right from the very beginning. Cause he would have said, this is me. Put me on the cross. Let me die for them. Let them stay, we'd have been in the garden till now. But thanks be to God who causes us to triumph. Jesus died for us. I don't have to hide anymore. Don't have to look at what I can do to fix the problem. You know what Moses, when Moses came along, he was better. What he basically said is, we are at fault. He wrote down the laws. And that showed us absolutely we were at fault. Yep, you are right, God. We are absolutely wrong. That's what the Moses did with the laws. He said, here's every way we are wrong. But you still couldn't bear the responsibility. Here is every way I am writing for hours, showing you how you are wrong, how it is in fact your fault. Had nowhere to hide when Moses wrote everything down. But we still didn't fix it because we couldn't bear the responsibility. Jesus comes in and says, let me take the responsibility. <laughs> Let's keep reading here. For it says, by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so Christ shall be made all, make all alive. Yes. But every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, after that they were Christ at his coming. Let's go back to 23, sir. But every man... In his own order, yes. Christ, the first fruits, afterwards, they are Christ at his coming. We are going to be Christ's when he comes. Because he's taken responsibility for everything we are. <laughs> Imagine when if 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 the Lord had come down in the, the cool of the day and the second Adam had shown up. Yes, <laughs> There would have been an opportunity to resolve the situation right there. What wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't have blamed somebody else. He said, I have to suffer. That's what Jesus said. When he, when he spoke to the disciples after the resurrection, he said, I have to let you understand, I needed to suffer. 
I needed to come here to, to, to save you. Like I didn't have a choice. Why did he say, every time Peter would get mad at Jesus when in, in, in um, Jesus told him, I'm gonna to go to the supper in Jerusalem, I'm gonna die. Peter got mad, got furious at, at Jesus. He couldn't understand why he was saying that. <laughs> it took all the generations from Adam to, to Christ of death and destruction and disobedience and sin. And Christ comes in and says, I can take responsibility for everything that comes before me. I am grateful to the Lord for taking responsibility for me. <laughs> he didn't say, he didn't say to me, look, it's on you, you caused this. It was absolutely your doing. It says, yeah, it's your fault, but it's now it's my responsibility. I'm gonna hand over, take over the bill. You're in over your head. But let me go ahead and take on this responsibility for you. When we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, we're asking him to come in. Lord, take responsibility in this moment. Lord, take control in this moment. Do your work. When we, when we, um, we, we uh, pray over somebody, we baptize them. Uh, we baptize them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because we are saying, Lord, take responsibility in this moment. Lord, take over. Lord, we can't do this. We can't pay this. We can't atone for this. We can't fix this. We can't renew this. We can't. But you can. You can make this whole. You've paid for this. You have the right to do it. Uh, hallelujah. You're trying to fix. You're trying to put together tools to fix something. And the Lord said, I fixed this a long time ago. Hand it to me. Why are you leafing together? Uh, trying to fix solutions when I've paid the price already. Why are you hiding from the Lord? You don't need to hide from his voice. Uh, scripture says, Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you. Uh, I'll take responsibility for what you've got and hand you what I have. Yeah, it's your fault. Yes, you did it. Uh, but I've got the responsibility. Uh, I don't know if you ever had that in your life. Somebody show up, didn't come with money to go to the restaurant. <laughs> yes, it's your fault, but I'll pay for it. <laughs> My Lord is paying the price. Uh, I was looking at the scripture in, um, in Acts chapter 10. I'll talk about this next week. But I love the scripture here that Cornelius... Uh, was a centurion and he called on the name of the Lord Jesus well he actually he was just praying he didn't know who to pray unto he was just praying and I'll speak about this next week he was just praying just praying just praying didn't know what he was praying for who to how to didn't know anything about it he was Italian he didn't have any of he was of Roman descent he was probably a centurion of Roman descent he was a part of the Italian band and he's calling on the name of the Lord doesn't know anything and that sparked something in Peter who's a full day's journey away Jesus was putting himself in the way of this centurion man, this Italian band leader, because he was the one who needed the help. <laughs> so he put something in Peter to get him moving. And I noticed that in the scripture, he said that Peter denied or refused to do it three times again. 
We've done this three times denying before, Peter. We've had this kind of with you before, where you've denied something three times and Peter was doing it again because it didn't sit well with his beliefs and how he was supposed to interact with Gentiles. <laughs> we should be, have the spirit of reconciliation because we are ambassadors of Christ and if he's bringing people in, I don't care what their background is, what they've done, how ungodly you say they are, how sinner you say they are, he died for them. You might say, oh, it's disgusting. I couldn't care less what you think. He said it's ungodly. I don't care. He died for them. He loves the people you hate. Let me just be, just be honest here. He loves them and said, I've died for them. <laughs> people you can't stand, that's who he was dying for. People you rejected, that's who he's dying for. People you think, oh, that's just revolting and you're going to hell. Maybe so, but he died for them. That's what he said. For the sinner and the ungodly, that's who he died for. First Adam would have said, not my problem. Don't let the first Adam spirit be found in here. Don't work under the first Adam spirit. The first Adam spirit says it's their fault. The first Adam spirit will say, it's not my problem. It was something you did. Second Adam, I'll take the responsibility. Second Adam says, I've paid for that already. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hallelujah. Truly, I do honor the Lord today. I have nothing but preaching of salvation. That's all I have. Preaching that in Jesus, if you want salvation, you can have it. He's paid the price for you already. Hallelujah. May the Lord have a blessing to read every